So my name's Dustin Nally. I'm the associate pastor here at Cross Community Church, and I want to welcome you this morning. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, maybe you don't understand the gravity of this, but this is the first time I've been able to preach uh, in, in this setting, not to a camera uh, in, the, in a long time, so uh, through the midst of COVID. So I'm excited to uh, be here with you this morning and share the word with you. So go ahead and turn to Acts 2, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we'll dive into the text. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you very much, Lord God, that uh, you provide true satisfaction for us. Thank you, Lord God, that uh, as we gather here, Lord God, we know that uh, you are here to be worshipped and you deserve all of our worship because of what you have done through Christ. Thank you for the representation of these uh, first Christians in Acts that we'll talk about again this morning. And I just praise you uh, for their testimony, Lord God, and what you did faithfully through them. Be with me, Lord God. Help me to... uh, Help me to present your word, Lord God, and help, Lord God, the word do its work in lives. Father, may we all be changed when we walk away from here. I pray for those that do not know you, Lord God, that are just testing out the waters, that they'll see the evidence from the first Christians uh, and from the testimony of our lives today uh, that you are real, that you are on your throne, that you're seated, that you are sovereign, and that they can place their faith and trust in you. Father, so be with us now, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to dive back into our text this morning. We're again, we're in Acts 2. I'll set the frame. I'll go ahead and read it together, and then we'll dive in. So, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So beautiful passage, uh, one now that you have read and recited multiple times. It should be starting to be ingrained in your heart. So uh, we're excited about that because we dive around God's word. So as you have noticed over the last several weeks, or if you're joining with us today, uh, we have gone through a study uh, in Acts as we see here uh, how the Great Commission is being fulfilled. Those that were presented with the gospel and were changed through new life in Christ What were they doing at the time? How were they fulfilling what God had commissioned them to do? So at Cross, this text is kind of the foundation principle behind that, uh, behind how we, uh, everything that we do to make disciples by preaching the gospel. But also, this is played out directly in how we gather, grow, give, and go. Those four kind of principles that we've been talking about. Uh, For those of you who are members or have actually attended any of our cross points, you'll recognize a lot of the same material. This is what we we go through as kind of our bedrock principles. So the first week, Taylor went through gather and, and talking about the necessity of the body of Christ to gather corporately together as well as gather in community groups, uh, smaller groups together uh, in each other's homes as we, uh, as we seek to build one another up in the gospel. Last week, we looked more intently at the body as it grows and how does the body grow. We grow together relationally. We grow spiritually as we dive into the text. And we continue to grow numerically as the word continues to go out. We expect that God will draw new people in. This week, we're going to finish up our time in Acts by looking at the first century believers uh, from the perspective of how they gave and went as they fulfilled the mission. So, Uh, In a real sense, the first two weeks reflected kind of this building up of the body. As we dove into the text, uh, we see these Christians, as they gather together, they're being built up. 
But what can't stay the same is they can't, they can't remain within themselves and tucked in. So everything now is looking and broadcasting outward as they're giving of their time, talent, treasures, and as they're giving as they share the gospel with those that are around. So the main idea is a radically changed heart devoted to God will give sacrificially and go faithfully. So point one, through the gospel, God's people give. Very simple. Uh, believers give how? They give sacrificially of their time, talents, and treasures. So over the next several minutes, I want to work through these points. But ultimately, in the heart of every believer, there should be this stirring to give. Giving of oneself to the ultimate glory of God. Something far beyond you and me to something greater, Him, uh, whom we worship. It's truly out of a heart of one that has been richly blessed by the Word of God and by His renewing faith in Him that we are able to be a blessing to others. That's the clear picture that we see in these first believers. So radical was their changed lives that they did not see themselves, their relationships, their attachments to things in this world as the same. Everything had been revolutionized. Everything had been changed. They were a radically changed bunch, and now their lives were given over to something uniquely different that was marked by radical generosity. So what are some of the ways that they give? Again, we talked about time, talent, and treasures. But why do we use terms like that? What do we see? First off, it's what we clearly see in Acts right here. Uh, but to sum, it sums up really how the Lord sovereignly works through several key aspects of a believer's life uh, and gives evidence actually to that changed life. So, and we'll see this working out in our lives today. This is what we should re- reflect on, how we, how we, how we minister these outward. We're, so we're given, we're given a specific time here on earth. We know that, each one of us, all right? Life before the Lord that we are to give. We see that from Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You and I were born in this time, not some other time, this time. And that is extremely important because it is important because what you do with the time that God gives you. What are you going to do with that? We're all given abilities, both physically and spiritually, to be used by the Lord. We see that in 1 Corinthians. Paul tells the church there, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. These giftings showcase Christ's power in our life, so we must use them in service for His mission. We're all given some level of resources by the Lord to use to further His mission out. And this shows that the kingdom is far more important than our earthly stuff and our earthly comforts. We recognize this because when Christ speaks to the people, he, he talks about uh, in Matthew, he tells them not to worry. Why does he tell them to worry? It's right there in Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God knows what our needs are. But do what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God's desire for his children is to trust him with their basic needs. And the resources then that he provides are to be leveraged and used for his kingdom work and benefits of others. So these are the three overarching terms that we're going to work through this morning. Okay, First, time. And where do we see that? It's right there in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You can strike it, you can underline it, you can repeat it, you can highlight it. Day by day. Clearly, this is not some one time a week or a moment by moment. This is 
every, this is all encompassing. This is revolutionary. Think something has changed completely. In a real sense, these believers felt like they were giving their most cherished commodity, right? Because time is something that you and I do not get back. It is given over to the Lord. We have a limited time here. But I want you, I want to take a moment and really just kind of help you frame this out because I know that in our particular context, when we're, you know, removed from this time frame, thousands of years, we, we, we lose sight of what's happening day by day. You need, to, you need to look at this culture. What's happening? Predominantly, this is still an agrarian, an agrarian culture, okay? What does that mean? That means that pretty much all of life revolved around the farming cycle and the pr- production of crops and the harvesting of crops into the new year and, and storage and cycling back through again and again. And what this means is that it was a longer process because at this point in time, we're still working with hand tools. We're still working with animal, uh, animal works. So this takes a long process just to put food on the table. Now, second that with the fact that who is over this people? Rome. And Rome was very happy to break the backs of its, of its population. It had no problem uh, squeezing everything out of its people so that the wealthy could remain wealthy. So there's two pe- people groups that are really represented. You have the Romans, the upper echelon of people um, that could even afford to buy the name to be a Roman citizen, uh, or you were poor. Uh, and you uh, had to work, sometimes not even on your own land, but you had to work uh, for all of this. So you, you have all of this in play now. Read it again, day by day. What sacrifices had to be made when daily work had to be done just to put food on the table, just to make ends meet, just to make sure that your children were provided for? It was a sacrifice. But to the people of God, this was a sacrifice worth making. They saw this as a valuable This system of economy provided no savings plan, no social security, no idea of welfare outside of making sure that the wealthy remained wealthy. But yet, for the people of God, they didn't care anything about that. They were meeting together. They believed and clearly thought that time together, time to learn, time to serve one another was of immense value. And look at that. We know that. Look at the testimony. It's so good, right? You read, you just miss these things if you just gloss over it. Together in breaking bread in their homes and received food with what? Glad and generous hearts. This is the heart of the people. And as Taylor preached a couple of weeks ago for gathering, we must prioritize what? How are they doing this? They're gathering together. If we flip right over to Acts 5, we see it right there in Acts 5, 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. The precious commodity of time was valuable enough for them to spend on the worship of our Lord and in work of ministry. Think of this weightiness again and reflect back over to Hebrews 10, which we, which we talked about last week. Let us, not, let us consider how to stir one another up with love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So let me see if I can uh, let this hit home again for us this morning. What are we prioritizing in our daily lives? Right? Is it devoted to work? Is it devoted to entertainment and play? Is it devoted to your boating or golf game? Sorry for those of you that boat or play golf. Uh, A number of extracurricular activities. Is it devoted to leisure like your Netflix show? Or is it truly devoted to the weightiness that we have been called to as we seek God in his kingdom? And let me be fair. It's not necessarily that these things are all bad. 
but truly for many of us, it is a real struggle to honor God with our time that he has given us because we're constantly filling our schedules with the secondary activities that are not prescribed, whereas this is prescribed by our Lord for our sanctification, for our growth, and for our Christian maturity, and so that his word continues to go out. So don't tell me that you struggle with the Bible study when you're all caught up on, on the news feed, when you're all caught up on the newest show, when you're all caught up on the newest fashion, and I could go on and on and on. Don't tell me that you can't spend time with the Lord. You're prioritizing something else, and the people of God got that right here. They saw something greater, something that was truly life for them, and they decided to dive deep into it. So we will be held accountable for our time that we've been given. So let's strive not to waste it. And according to the writer of Hebrews, this was mission critical because the gathered body served to stir our affections. I mean, think about how awesome it is. As we gather together, we are stirred and equipped each and every week to go out and continue to minister the gospel because it's hard out there. We need one another. It's dry. It's weary. All of our work comes up as ash and we come back and we gather together to remember and reflect over this great God that we serve and we're renewed in our strength again. Our affections are stirred for his mission, which leads us to the second part, how we use our talents. And we see this in other places, not just in 1 Corinthians, but in Ephesians 4. How are the talents played out? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The gifting of the body is meant to strengthen and continually fuel the mission of God. How beautiful it is when believers use their gifts and watch as God grows his people. I just want to take a moment and just reflect over a young lady in our church that, uh, that loves well, that expressed to me even last week uh, just her personal gifting in hospitality and care. And if you, were to, if you know this lady, and I'm not going to say her name, uh, you, you know what I mean. When she came up and she said, how are you doing? She meant for me to give her an answer, not just I'm fine. Which, of course, I tried to work around and be like, oh, I'm fine. You know, I'm struggling like everybody else and blah, blah, blah. And she pressed in further. No, how are you really doing? And... Really, it almost brought me to tears. Uh, and quickly, she was like, I want you to know that I, I, I'm praying for you. And I know that she does. Uh, and I, she said, I want to, and I want you to know that I want to help in any way I can. So I want you to talk to your wife, which I haven't talked to my wife. So my wife's hearing this for the first time right now. Bad communication. Um, but she said, I want you to talk to your wife, and I want to coordinate a time. I want to come over to your house. I'm going to help your wife take care of the kids so that you can actually go away, and I want you to, I want you to spend time before the Lord because as a spiritual leader of your home, you're the one that's held accountable for how your family is run, and I want you to be, I want you to be refreshed. It just broke me, but it's so beautiful in the, in the context of the community of God to one another that this young lady wanted to serve others because of the gifting that God had given her. It's beautiful. It's why we need one another. All of us need one another. So let's consider another example. If we flip over to Acts 6, we see this happen again. We've talked about this already, but I just want to, I want to draw it to light uh, to help, help us picture this more clearly. And so what we see here in Acts 6, what's going on is, right, what we saw in Acts 2. The disciples are coming together. They're gathering their, their possessions together for whomever has need, and they're, and, they're, and they're supplying for those that have need. But something had happened. Uh, in the consistent pattern, the Hellenistic Jews were getting overlooked at the tables, those widows. And, and so a complaint was arising. 
and something was happening. There could have been uh, a large uh, part that was threatening our disunity, but yet here in the wisdom of the Lord, the, he used the apostles to really teach something that happened here. And this is where we get the first picture of what's called a deacon, which is just simply servant. Those that are gifted in service to serve. So what happens, the apostles then gather up these men together, pour into them, and they serve in their gifting so that the apostles continue to express their gifting in preaching and teaching. And, the, and what happens? You can't miss this. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Man, we can miss the little things like that. God's word was continuing out because the faithfulness of his people to be the body to one another to express the giftings that they had. The Lord doesn't just say, hey, let's go build a huge ministry. He could do that. He could just plop it right down in front of us. No, that's not how he typically works. He says he normally comes to us, to each believer, and he says, serve where he is gifted. And what does he do? So that the means of the gospel can go forth, just one faithful believer at a time, faithfully serving by how God has equipped them. God uses ordinary service to affect the world in extraordinary ways. He takes your service and he multiplies it. Interestingly, in this passage, it is the calling out of certain individuals for certain tasks and service while the apostles continue to teach and preach that draw many of the priests into service. Uh, you see, the vast majority of priests in those times, we need, we need to get some context here again, right? That these priests were serving in the temple, uh, and this would be the temple built by Herod at the time of Christ, and it would be shortly there demolished by the Romans. But this temple, nonetheless, was fueled by the ministry of the priest by the people. They brought their sacrifices. The priest would uh, take their sacrifices before the Lord. But what's interesting is that this is not the context that we see in the Old Testament because these priests were not cared for in the same way. In the Old Testament, there were provision for the priest where they had their needs met so that they could be a ministry to the people before uh, a holy God. But at this point in time, that is not the case. These priests typically are, are struggling. Uh, they are part of that poor class that we talked about earlier. Their needs aren't being met. The privileged few had it. The high priest had it because that was a bought for position. But that's not the case here. These priests uh, had a lot going on in their lives. So the Lord then uses his children to show those priests that they were dead in their sins. Get that. The people that were supposed to be standing before the holy God looks over and sees something alive and new and vibrant and active. And they see the dead works in ministry that they're currently doing. And they're like, something is wrong here. The ones that were to be the ministry before holy God, something is wrong. And they look and they see the care that these new believers are caring for one another. And they fall on their face. They repent of their sins to new life. All because of the service of people to one another. Believers as they served one another. This is a beautiful picture through the power of God's word. Next, we see our treasure. Right there in verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Had all things in common. What a beautiful picture of, of this first church. And let me just stop for a second because nothing can get people more fired up than when pastor starts talking about money. But it's okay, okay? When we look at God through the power of Christ, we see that money has uh, a specific thing in mind by God. God provides blessing, right, to his people, but God provides those provisions. But we look at Christ, and he helps frame this for us this morning. 
He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. See, Christ himself, coming in the second person of the Trinity, would talk more about money than he would any other context because he knows how much it is tied to what we do and how we act as people, more specifically as the people of God, how we utilize what he's entrusted to us. It's the reason why he would speak more about this. He wants to give believers examples and warnings. The beautiful part about why Christ would speak about money was to point his followers to something greater. God's provision for his people is never for us to still maintain our look and our vision on the provision. It's to look to something greater. It's to look ahead to what is in front of us in Christ. It is to look to something more beautiful, namely this perfect being that has sacrificed his life for us on our behalf. And to be honest, during the time of Christ, monetary blessing was misused, right? A lot of the same ideologies uh, carry today, right? Where the people of God still believe that favor by God was his blessing, physical blessing for his people. Talk about the many cults that we have today that would still promote this, that your faith in God uh, and your relationship to him will determine how much blessing you will get from him. Christ steps on the scene and totally revolutionizes this. Because what do we see in Christ? Christ himself said that we would suffer for his sake. So, and are those, right, that have gotten everything taken from them, think over in China, think over in India, think in these uh, heavily Muslim contexts where uh, all the rights are being removed, are they uh, any different thing in the context of blessing? Is God blessing them less because he's removed everything from them versus us who sit here in comfort, in rooms over our head, and food on our tables, and education for our children? Are we, are, we, are we to be any different? Is there any different blessing? No. The resounding beauty of the gospel is that he's called each one of us to our place. Some are going to suffer in that way. Some are going to suffer in other ways. But we're going to suffer for Christ, and it's going to be worth it in the end. So the people of God, they did see that. They did see greatest treasure and blessing, right? In the Old Testament, we, we need to look in context as well, that the Old Testament did reflect over God as he would be a blessing to the people of Israel. But we dare not miss the fact that as God was pouring out blessing to the people of Israel, it was both to be a witness to the people of Israel that God is reigning supreme and that they needed to serve and worship him, but it was also a picture of the gospel to the outside watching world that, hey, God is here and present. Look in. Look in. So those nations that were surrounding Israel could look in and say, there is a God in Israel. We need to serve him. It was to be a picture. It was always meant to be something to point us to something greater, namely God himself. But the people of Israel, like many of us today, right, we began to look to the material blessings that were sitting right in front of us instead of the one who owns it all. So how are we to look at our treasures in light of the first Christians? Bottom line is that money, our treasures, can be used to serve the purposes of God, and that is exactly what these first Christians were doing as they were meeting one another's needs. They were exhibiting radical generosity, and radical generosity fuels the mission of God. They were looking like their Savior who loves so well that, according to Paul, he was rich. Of course he's rich. He's the owner of everything. He spun the stars into existence. He made the paper that we, that we print our money on, right? He, he owns it all. He was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We're looking like Christ. The sheer act of adorning Christ 
the second person of the Trinity, when he put on flesh and became a man, lowered himself. He became poor for our sake. He's the perfect example of what it looks like for every follower as we lay down our life, our desires, our treasures, so that they can be used in the service of others. And remember back to Acts 6, 7. It was the radical generosity the Lord used as a vehicle to spread the good news of the gospel that many of the priests came to obedience and faith. So let me take a moment and celebrate what the Lord is doing here in faithful giving. You know, Cole had mentioned it earlier in the announcements about baptism, but let me just reflect over your giving. As you give, the ministry continues to go and work itself outward. God takes the faithfulness of his bride and continues to minister to others well. We see this in outreach ministries. We have a number of parachurch ministries that we partner with that your giving and ties the Lord uses to spread ministry to the people that you will never meet. Not only that, we have benevolence needs that come in, especially in the midst of COVID. We're so thankful for the blessings that the Lord has provided for this community because I get to sit and meet with these people. And when I sit down across the table and they tell me their story and their heartbreak and their pain and their suffering, and I'm able to step in the gap for them because of your faithfulness in giving, the Lord exhibits through you. I get to share the gospel with them and I get to provide them with the payment of an electric bill. I get to supply them with food. Meet with them week in and week out. Thank you for your faithfulness and your provision, church. This is what God is doing and what he's moving. I could go on and on about this. You don't, you, don't, you don't even know that there are thousands upon thousands of missionaries spread across the entire globe in the darkest recesses of this world where the gospel is not proclaimed, but there are missionaries there on site because of your faithful giving. That's what the Lord is doing through your gifts and offerings as, you, as he multiplies your sacrifice. It's the beautiful gift of the Lord. That's what he does. Ultimately, the Lord uses our treasure to fuel his mission to the ends of the earth. And that leads us to the second point. Through the gospel, God's people go faithfully. Believers trust the Lord to save others as they faithfully witness to a changed life in Christ. Bottom line, it was never the radical generosity like, for say, in Acts 6 that saved the priests, right? It's not the next social ministry today that will save someone. It was the magnificent gospel of Jesus Christ. It was God's words. It was the pure faith handed down by the saints of old that was of first importance, according to Paul, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And later on to the Romans, he would say, and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the good news of the gospel. It's because we have been rescued, redeemed, and restored that we cannot help but go, no matter the circumstances. Look at the outcome of those that came to faith in Jerusalem. Even after persecution breaks out against these Jews by Saul, who would later become Paul and then be a missionary to the Gentiles. And then here we are because of his faithfulness to go and to share the word with the Gentiles, Gentiles who would place their faith in him. Even through persecution, according to Acts 8.4, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's all of us. It's every one of us. That's not me sitting here preaching the word. That's you going out to your neighbors, to your children, to your coworkers, sharing the good news of the gospel because there is new life to be found. It's a dark world. We're all called to go. So church, we go no less than those who have gone before us. We go as lights and beacons of hope in a dark world. We go because we have been made new. 
We're not old things anymore. We go because we have the good news to share. We go because we have the truth to tell in a world that is full of lies. We go because we know the wellspring of life. This should excite you, the wellspring of life. You always have a source to go back to, to be comforted, to be cared for, to be loved on and be appreciated in your Holy Father. We go because we have a rescuer who compels us to go to rescue others, to reach down and to pick them up and to draw them out of their filth. We go because we love this love that drives us. We go because the fire that burns deep within our souls cannot be contained. But it has to be shared to those that are around us. We have the best news to tell. Amen? I don't know. I don't know if you get it. Maybe. We have the best news to tell. In a world that is dead, in a world that is fleeing from God, we have hope. And they have nothing. They have nothing apart from Christ. This is the beautiful good news of the gospel. See, we're not trying to peddle some self-help manual. We're seeking to change people's behaviors, like behavior modification. No, we're simply sharing the good news that leads to new life that will carry us into eternity. And get this, let's finish Romans 10, 13, where we started. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Right there in Acts, those who were being saved. These new believers were coming because the Lord, through the faithfulness of his children, were drawing people to himself. And as Paul would tell the Corinthian church, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Get that. Just picture it in your mind, the fragrance of the good news of the gospel. It's an aroma to be felt, to experience the good news. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To others, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. That's our calling. And notice that the account is stating that it's not just the apostles who are sharing the gospel. To share the good news of the gospel is not for the rock star evangelist. It is for everyone. Elton Trueblood said it this way, evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men. But it is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. The reality is that the true community is striving to make God's glory known. We challenge one another to not only learn and grow in God, but to communicate the gospel that so richly came to us. We cannot suppress this wonderful news. It must be shared with the world. And in a community, we have the privilege to walk alongside. So let us walk alongside one another as we work in these specific contexts. So in conclusion to this series, uh, we have to walk away uh, from Acts. I I want you to notice something that I hope is rather peculiar and actually quite simple. The account in Acts shows the beginning of the church that it was founded on ordinary people doing ordinary things like gathering together for worship, reading God's word, growing closer to one another relationally, and by fellowshipping in one another's homes and places of worship, by giving of themselves and who God had created them to be, 
You know who you are. To them, holy to the mission and faithfully going to share the good news of the gospel. It's just simple. It's not hard to understand. The author Tony Marita wrote a book called Ordinary that actually deals directly with this. And, and when he talks about the first uh, Christians, he likens it this way. He says, By submitting to the lordship of Jesus, proclaiming his substitutionary death and bodily resurrection, and displaying good deeds that reflect the value of the kingdom, God used these ordinary Christians to change lives. One conversion at a time. One meal at a time. One act of mercy at a time. So how do we apply this passage in our current context? First, let's go back to the beginning and remember, this is a family affair. We do this together. We do this as God has called us to, right here at Cross, as we go out into our community and abroad. We do this together with one another. So let me give you some application points to take with you. Number one, if you're here and you're not connected to a community group, then first and foremost, you need to connect to a community group. This is kind of lifeblood of what happens behind the scenes at Cross as we gather together in small uh, local groups to pour into one another, to serve one another, to read God's word together, to be encouraged with one another. Or if you've been here and you have the ability and you've been connected to a community group, it's time to start one in your neighborhood for people that have yet to experience this. So connect to a community group. Join a ministry team, all right? And COVID has had massive impacts on us, okay? Just like everyone else. And in that, it's affected a lot of our volunteers. But perhaps now the Lord is calling you out, calling you out to serve in the gifting that you have been given. You don't stop expressing your gifting just because some disease keeps you at home. It's not how this works, okay? The mission of God still goes forward, no matter what the circumstances are. Join a ministry team, connect. Three, probably a little bit more difficult for some. Commit to faithfully share the gospel with a child, neighbor, coworker once. Once in the month of September. That's 12 times a year. That's pathetic. But bottom line, it's a starting point. And here's the, here's the, here's the problem. And this is why I want to uh, set the bar low so that you can accomplish it and you can see the good work of the Lord as he faithfully uses you. But so many of us have run the gamut of more Bible studies and growing deeper in maturity in Christ, and yet we have yet to share the gospel in years. Some of us decades. Shame on us. The gospel is not something that was just came to you to stay with you. It came to you to go through you to another. It's meant for others to be shared, not for you to hold to yourself. So commit to sharing the gospel with someone this, this month. Remember, it is our responsibility it's not our responsibility to save anyone. That's what God does. Our responsibility is to go and to share. We we'll look at Ezekiel 36 and we see this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God himself is the one that changes hearts. You are called to go. I am called to go. Number four, pray and seek out how the Lord will use you to disciple others. It doesn't just start with evangelism. The call to make disciples flows naturally into relationships that require you to pour your life into others. You who have been a Christian for years, it's time for you to take a next step and pour into someone that is a babe in Christ. That perhaps for the first time is just making headway. And they need you to come alongside them to teach them the ways of the Lord to disciple others. This is the great calling. So pray and seek how the Lord would use you 
to connect with others. Contact me. I'd love to connect you out with somebody, with newer believers. I'd love to help you in that process. And we'll, we'll continue to talk more about that. But five, and lastly, and this is probably most important, for those of you that came here that you just wanted to check out what this whole church thing was about, or maybe you've been playing church all your life and you're just here, um, and maybe for the first time you've heard the gospel and its clarity, then your point and your starting line is for you to submit your life to Christ today. Not to stop. Don't, don't wait. Don't tarry. We've already talked about that your time is limited. You have a limited time. Now's the time that the Lord has given you to submit to him. So as Grayson comes up, we're going to bow our heads in prayer, and we're going to prepare for the Lord's Supper.